So today I have been building a gigantic client email list full of prospects and people I've met, hundreds of people I've met through networking and I've been inputting all the data into a CRM, a sort of management tool to allow me to communicate and run email campaigns and there's an architecture to this, there's an architecture to this type of business strategy, to building a set of systems that allow me to communicate on a large scale and bring value to the people who need it the most and who are the most interested in what, I've, what I'm providing. And it's, you know, in terms of a business, it's kind of you're stepping back. You know, these types of tools are very much architectural perspectival, you know, they're architectural perspectives in a way, because you step back, get the higher altitude, the higher perspective to see what's going on. And when we design a building, it's exactly what we do. We always kind of literally, we elevate ourselves and we invent abstract ways of looking at something like plan and in section. The plan, as Le Cabousier said, is the great organizer. It's literally an invented imaginary position looking directly above so you can move things around and see how things are moving and planning into another. And you can zoom in with added detail when you need to. And that is, that is essentially a you know, very architectural way of thinking about things. It's, it's to elevate yourself to have the wider p picture and be able to go into um, minute detail when necessary. The, um, oh, I can't remember their names now, uh, the Eames, Charles and Ray Eames, did a beautiful film called Powers of Ten which is well worth watching as it explores different scales and the way that things ultimately start connecting with each other throughout large and small scales. And the film starts off looking at a one meter by one meter square of a person lying in a park and it zooms out by a power of ten every ten, every one second. And eventually you find yourselves out on the periphery of the universe looking at all the kind of structures of galaxies. You zoom out through the solar system, you zoom out through the, the size of the earth. It's an incredible film. And then it zooms back in and it goes back to the body and then it starts going into the, macro, into the minute scale. It starts looking at the cells of the body and it zooms in again by a power of 10. That way of thinking is so powerful. It really enables us to provide solutions um, and to be able to dance back and forth. And you see of all the great designers, Da Vinci, the Eameses, and many great thinkers, entrepreneurs, uh, are able to be able to elevate themselves out of and, and maintain a higher view of thinking but also understand how things are deeply interconnected and how to zoom in and out. So, my little thought, I hope you've enjoyed that. I'm back! It's been a while! I haven't used Anchor for a little while. I've kind of taken a bit of a hiatus from social media and now I am back in full force. And um, I took a little break because I was kind of reconsolidating lots of ideas, reformulating a new direction, and generally just getting rejuvenated, replenished, and reinvigorated about the next steps forward in building my transformational architectural property profit driven business, which will provide harmonious developments to all of mankind. 
Um, and I, what I am doing at the moment is actually I'm in the process of writing a book called The Entrepreneur's City and it's very much about a new generation of conscious entrepreneurs who see starting a business not only as a means of um, producing income but as a way of social contribution, as a way of producing the lifestyle and the freedom that they want and that they want for other people and it's this new wave of you know of entrepreneurialism which is kind of becoming more and more mainstream that um, you know the younger generation are kind of questioning our sort of industrialized methods of education do I need to go to university and study some bullshit subject for X amount of years? I need to get into the workplace where people who haven't been work uh, at university are now, you know, got a higher uh, wage than you know those with degrees. It's very, very fascinating. Um, and also, you know, there's self-education. There is the internet. There is this wonderful set of resources and technology which allows anybody with enough hunger, drive, and direction to really capitalize on and that they can direct their own um, learning into very powerful ways and you can create businesses and profit in the process of doing that and that really starts to change the game of how people relate to their home life how people relate to their jobs um, and what people are creating and it's going to have an impact on our cities on our built environment and I'm very interested in you know you know how we can be on that journey ourselves of conscious entrepreneurship I know a lot of people here are you know on that journey of starting a business and it's a very kind of self fulfilling interesting um, awakening self-actualization process in itself and I'm interested in how our built environment will need to cater for that and support that kind of new, uh, I'm going to call it enlightened entrepreneur, a new generation of people. Anyway, so I look forward to um, kind of keeping you updated about all the things I'm doing. We're going to have loads of interviews on here, conversations with people. I've seen that they've got a new interview aspect um, to anchor. And I really look forward to um, just, yeah, kicking ass and talking to lots of you online so I'm really excited by this new generation of conscious entrepreneurs a kind of mindfulness in business a kind of um, you know adhering to creating companies that are spawned from the seeds of deep-rooted values of well-being a commitment to um, you know civic responsibility a kind of engagement with let's call it the harmonious development of mankind you know there's a lot of these aspirational um, things which really help a define a business make it more unique and you know ultimately in the long term will cause them to be more profitable and when that profit is being recycled back into more mindful forms of economics and finance and you know activities it only makes that business model again more 
sustainable, more further reaching, and ultimately more fulfilling for those who engage in the business and who are served by the business. Um, and I, and I, I think it's absolutely brilliant that, you know, we were watching today, I was in the pub, it wasn't a pub, it was a Vietnamese restaurant rather. Um, we were with a friend of mine who's also an entrepreneur and we were looking at this guy whose name I can't remember but he's got a YouTube channel and he makes like oversized fantasy swords and records these very amusing videos of him chopping up blocks of ice and watermelons and things like that. And it was just amazing because if you'd ever said that as a business idea you would just be like, what the fuck? What the hell are you talking about? But he's got over 2 million subscribers, or his videos are getting over 2 million views, and the craftsmanship is exquisite. These, these, these swords are just, you know, meticulously made. They're beautiful, they're funny, they're witty, the videos are well-crafted, and, you know, there's a strong niche market that he's created out of a passion. And... You know, that, it really starts to redefine a new generation, a new economy of, you know, children, kids looking, you know, they've just finished their GCSEs or their A-levels. And you've got to kind of look back and you think, what the point is, is studying these arbitrary subjects that have little to zero um, real-world application in many ways, in many ways. I'm not going to totally uh, discredit or discount schooling and traditional forms of education. Um, you know, there's, it, it, that, is, that is a vital and critical part of, of, of lots of professions and lots of jobs. But there's also this new, you know, this ideology, these new kinds of entrepreneurs who can build businesses out of anything. You know, and actually teaching the principles, or even just planting the seeds of it, that it's possible. That if you've got an idea, you can create a market, you can create an audience with social media technology, and just by being passionate and committed and ruthlessly hungry, and putting, planting your values deep into, uh, into your into your business, you can create these unique types of, of companies and they can you know technologies allow them to be operated from anywhere in the world now how we start catering for this generation of people in terms of built environment and property will be another discussion I was listening to something yesterday that was quite fascinating um, is a guy Evan Pagan who you may have heard of is a um, a sort of entrepreneur and in my mind he's produced some of the most profound literature and uh, online courses about entrepreneurship and business and relationships uh, that I can think of his work is, is truly truly fantastic and um, there was a quote yesterday that I heard from him and he was talking about there was two ways to live one way to live your life is unconsciously and that is to lead a life where you are dictated by your cultural programming, um, your social upbringing. Uh, you are leading a life where you are in that kind of structure and you do nothing about it. You make no choices about it or in or around it. You are very much at the effect of the circumstances that you have 
been born into. And this kind of unconsciousness, I would suggest that most human beings live at some point in their life um, like this, going through school, university, or you end up in a job and you're not particularly satisfied with it. Um, or there's some level of not have taken total responsibility and creating a life that you desire. And the other way to live is consciously, which is where you choose your life. You choose exactly the way that you want to live. You create your own lifestyle and you create your own job and you create your own wealth and you build assets and you empower yourself to lead a life that you want to have. And it's a very different mindset. And this really fascinates me because I've been, I've been you know, really fascinated by the idea of enlightenment or waking up or what it means to live a life consciously. And I thought that was a very simple um, and beautiful way of describing it. And he was, he was saying that conscious living actually scares people because it kind of suggests that you make yourself not one of us to where you came from. So, you know, from where you've come from, you're kind of waking up out of that. And there's a, there's, there's a conflict. There's an, there's an internal conflict that will happen. There is a social friction that will happen. There is a shift. It's change. That's all it is. It's just change. And with change comes friction. And, you know, you could call it discomfort. Um, but conscious living scares people. And it very, very interesting. And you know, this this kind of channel is really about conscious living and conscious entrepreneurship, conscious entrepreneurship, and what that means to the built environment and to our cities. So two ways to live, unconsciously or consciously. Love to know your thoughts on that. Good evening. Today I want to talk about reclaiming stewardship and leadership in the built environment for architects. Architect, the word comes from the Greek word architectos, who knows what the actual Greek word is, but that word once meant master craftsman, the master builder. And in modern architectural circles and the built environment, you will often find the architect has been relegated from a position of leadership to one of consultant, to one of an aesthetic consultant, um, not involved in the kind of nuanced processes of construction and not playing the impact or not having that role in the built environment that can really cause transformation, cause communities, um, cause incredible built environments and cause a overall huge um, shift in the levels of well-being and uh, you know of, of the physical built environment and that is that's something which is has is really really difficult I think you know architecture is one of the most phenomenal fascinating subjects it covers so many different areas and touches upon every single kind of human activity you can imagine it's really you know fascinating subject and it can be you know just an absolute joy very fulfilling um, profession but you will often find lots of architects disgruntled frustrated in their professions stressed out 
you know, they're not getting paid very much, they're fighting for their fees all the time, they're in this position where they become glorified drafts people, they're not able, it's not a creative profession, I think that becomes incredibly infuriating um, as an architect when you're kind of always being dictated to what to design, what to, what to draw because you're not the one calling the shots, you haven't got that leadership position, you're the, the clientele that you may work with may not have the best understanding of architecture. Um, and this is interesting, it's all very interesting. And we look at open competitions for example, where it might cost an architectural practice up to £5,000 just to enter the competition in terms of the running costs of their practice and they've got a 0.25% chance of actually winning the competition um, you know the hours can be very grotesque so you can see all these different things kind of contributing to a profession that perhaps has lost its way a little bit and I would assert that the education system and the professional governing bodies themselves are a little bit out of date and they've kind of come from antiquated systems that were responding to a different kind of economy. Uh, they were beautifully set up to produce further workers, further people to go into other industrialized systems of commerce and of production. And today we're living in an environment which is much more cellular, it's much more localized and there's much more opportunity for entrepreneurship and business. And I really do believe that the architectural profession will go through this shift where it can regain its leadership, but it will come through that mastery of communication, entrepreneurship and business. Good evening, here I am, you can hear the bell of Big Ben ringing in the distance, St Paul's beautifully illuminated and reflecting into the depths of the River Thames this evening and I can see beautiful buildings in the city of London glittering and shining their light upon all and on this joyous evening stroll um, what I want to talk about is entrepreneurship as many of you know it's my favorite topic in the world and I love talking about entrepreneurship in architecture and the the role of entrepreneurship in architecture for me I really do believe that it is the key to unlocking the potential of architects to be able to reclaim their stewardship and their leadership over the built environment at the moment we're kind of operating in an antiquated educational system which is not just um, you know architecture is not the only subject which operates in this framework um, our whole our whole schooling system does and it's kind of geared towards making you an employee and what we've seen in architectural education is you have this very long incubation period for an architect, seven years. Um, students invest hundreds of thousands of pounds into it, hours and hours and hours and hours. It's a huge chunk out of your life, uh, of a very formative point of your life. And yet the focus of architectural education becomes to study very highly idiosyncratic nuanced subjects which I don't want to say that's a waste of time I actually think it's amazing and it's probably one of the few times in your design life that you do get to experience 
um, a kind of design ideology which is totally unfettered by the constraints of anything real. However, for that to be the primary and the main way that all architects are educated is out of balance and out of whack. And it comes at a very uh, grotesque cost as well, which is that without the kind of um, foundations of working as a team and without the foundations of an entrepreneurial mindset inbuilt into the uh, workings of becoming a professional architect means that we become snobbish almost. Architects become reluctant to engage into talking about sales, about marketing, about the costing of a project and ultimately the financial and economic force is the defining force of the built environment and for architects not to be fluent and fully conversant in that language of finance, in the language of taking an idea and executing themselves, raising the capital to do it is troublesome and it, and it also kind of, you know, it, it, it works hand in hand here with communication and a particular kind of communication which is collaborative. Now architectural education is a very um, individual pursuit. Hours and hours and hours often spent working, delivering something and there's a whole load of kind of working mindsets that are kind of unhealthy that get built around that. And on occasion you will do some sort of collaborative exercise and you do have crits and things like that which kind of get you talking but by, by large and large it's a very unusual way to deliver a project when compared into the working environment and try and take it, and I speak from my own experience, trying to work and run a practice like the way I worked as a student is a fucking nightmare. <laughs> it's a very painful experience and a painful existence. So entrepreneurship, entrepreneurial mindset is critical, even if you don't want to run your own business. Because we're seeing now as well larger, well-established practices who are passing the baton on as their founders retire to individuals who perhaps have never had any entrepreneurial spirit or entrepreneurial endeavors and now they're going to be the heads of certain companies and that that entrepreneurial drive is a requirement of architecture because you've got to win the work and without the skills and the ability to win the work there is no architecture Hello, good morning, Ryan Willard here, um, and I want to start the day by talking a little bit about this new generation of digital nomads and digital public space and what that actually means. And we're living in a world now where people are more transient, we're redefining this relationship between our physical space, we're redefining the relationship between ownership of property, how properties can be owned, and also there's a new market emerging um, with, you know, who are redefining this relationship, who have different wants and needs, and, you know, there's, there's opportunities there to really cater for something different. One thing I'm a big, uh, um, you know, uh, proponent of, big believer in is, you know, microhousing and tiny living and living more simply. And I think microhousing philosophy really at its heart is a kind of, you know, with high levels of design. Um, people can live in smaller spaces. 
you know, they require less physical space if they require a physical space at all. You know, people are often checking in and living a, a transient lifestyle where it might be from Airbnb place to Airbnb place or, you're, you know, these online entrepreneurs who are running a business from a laptop and will holiday here in Bali. They will holiday there. They will keep on traveling. Um, you know, there's a, there's a market, uh, there's a new sort of model there emerging for people, uh, you know, maybe it's perhaps more like a membership model where you kind of, you pay for a membership and you're able to have access to lots of different properties around the world. Um, I know of people who are kind of doing that, they do swaps with their properties, you know, I'm, I'm going to, I want to live in Paris for six months, why don't you live in my place for six months? You know, I um, did a wonderful interview recently with, um, with a lady who was, who was basically living like that. It was absolutely fascinating. So I can see, rather than actually property, it's more... Uh, it's more the infrastructure or the service or the website or the platform to allow you to communicate with other people who are doing the same thing. Um, so we start to see a kind of a digital public arena. Um, and it, 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 will sh it will shift the way that our built environment operates. We can see, you know, office blocks in London under permitted development um, are allowed to be changed to residential. And what that's allowed... Um, is that they don't need to go through the formal planning procedures, which has given the rise to um, developers grabbing hold of these office blocks and building smaller apartments than uh, space standards would normally allow. And so obviously because it's not gone through planning, they can get away with it. And what I think that's actually a very, very positive thing because when there's a high level of design involved, a smaller space can be very, very you know, it's perfect. I've lived in some very, very small spaces myself. We've got a place in New York which is about 375 square foot, so, you know, it's under 30-odd 30, 30 square metres. Um, pretty small spaces. I've lived on narrow boat before, which was about 18 square metres. Um, and obviously I spent a lot of time in monastic living, because a lot of my design work is working with monastics and monasteries and that's a real deep passion of mine, where the monks live in kutis, which are very, very small spaces. And as a whole, I could go on, I probably will talk at length about this, this, this ideology of the small space, how it relates to the human, our human physical bodies, and how digital online culture is meaning that we are doing away with physical possessions and we're creating this new kind of spatial requirements. Have you ever wondered how buildings get made? It's quite a beautiful process in a lot of ways, and in a lot of ways it's a very frustrating process. It's very repetitive, um, and there's always a rush. There's always a desire to want to have the solution, and the solution and the thinking only comes about through doing it, through actually drawing it, through modelling it, through having the conversations with the client. You can't imagine a building in your mind. Well, as you get more and more skills and you, know, you can focus your attention, you can start to, to, to you know, crystallise images more clearly in your brain. Um, but for me, anyway, I've always found that you, I need to draw it out. I need to think about it on paper. The thinking doesn't exist in the mind only. The thinking has to be expressed in something physically because ultimately the building is going to be a physical thing. Um, 
And this process can be very, very long. It can be very repetitive. It's an iterative process. It means that you draw it once and you're like, ah, okay. You draw it again. You're like, ah, okay. You draw it a third time and you're like, actually, why don't I do this? Oh, I see. Why don't I move that there? And that? You draw it a fourth time. You know what? That doesn't work. I'm going to go back to that operation. Oh, we've gone back back and forth, around and around and around. I used to work for a guy called Nicholas Grimshaw who used to liken the process to being like a spiral and the solution becomes slowly, slowly moving inwards on this spiral until you get to the, to the final point, your destination, the, the design solution, as it were. So it's a really interesting process. It's very long, it's very iterative, but it's very similar to what lots of other processes like for example, an entrepreneur, the way that entrepreneurs may release a product. Um, you see the evolution of something like Google. And I remember listening to an interview with um, the founder of Google, Sergi um, Brin, or whatever his name is. And he was talking about how they were always keen to have... They were never in a rush to have people experience Google because they knew that they kept on refining it and getting it better and better. And the later that somebody experienced Google, the better that Google would be. So it would have gone through that iterative process. And it's, it's the same thing. Products go through iterations. They get refined. They start understanding their user base more. And they become more focused. And they begin to excel. And design process, architectural design, is exactly the same. So I'll leave that there. I'm going to keep you updated today. With I'm just sitting in my studio this afternoon, this morning, um, doing some drawings and delivering on a project. So each time I have a little thought, I'm going to post it to you guys.